0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, with Pastor John King. I understand that you guys are still growing. You know, a lot of people would like to have you just stay right where you're at. But you, none of you would like that always. you. You want to continue to grow, don't you? We're super proud of you here, and so we want to just encourage you as you guys and gals start to, uh, boys and girls, you start to uh, move up to the next grade. What grade are they going to? What's happening? Explain to us what's going on, Miss Heidi. So school is starting on this week. Some of us have already started to the homeschooling, but tomorrow most of them start back to school. And let's see, Hunter and Tori and Connor are starting kindergarten. 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 Awesome. Awesome. And then the rest of our kids are all first through fifth grade, all moving up. Moving up. Yep. Third grade? You are going to be in the same school. school. That would be cool. That's super exciting. Uh, I'm in a different school. I moved to the little kid to the some the kids. He's no longer in our toddler class. He moved up to our kindergarten class today. They all moved up to their big kid classes. Are you too, excited? So they're super they? excited. Yeah. Well, how about if you guys just kind of come up and line up, so we as a congregation, I'm going to lead a prayer for you guys, okay? Come on up anywhere here. Did you want to stand here? Okay. <laughs> oh, Well, you know, folks, it's such an honor to have a children's ministry. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, uh, there's a lot of churches don't have a children's ministry. And so we want to make sure that we nurture that in prayer and support. And we are so proud of you kids. And I know your parents, we join with your parents, are very proud of you as you grow in the Lord. Because as you grow older, the most important thing is that you grow in the Lord. Amen? So let's bow our heads. We want to pray for you guys as you get ready to move on. Father, we thank you for uh, Benaya. We thank you for Asa and Brooke. We thank you for Juliana and Hunter and Josh and Connor. What's your name? Tori and Josh and Connor and Mary. Mary. Michelle. Michelle. I get nervous in front of you guys. I can't remember stuff. And Noah. And we lift up each and every one of these children. Father, we ask that you would just plant it in their hearts that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. When, you're, when they're ready, at, at an early age, the earlier the better, that they can learn to walk with you and trust you. And Lord, we always want to see the future of your church. It's a blessing, it's an honor to see future pastors and Sunday school teachers and servants that you're raising up as you continue to build this army of believers. And nothing that the world can do can stop that because your will be done. And so, Father, we just lift up these precious children as they grow older. We look forward to the day, Lord, if you give us the time that we would see them grow and mature as young adults and productive citizens in our great nation, serving you and representing you. So go before them now. We, we cherish them. We love them. We, we surrender them to you. We trust you, Lord. Go before their parents and their families and their households. Guide their steps, that they may walk in your ways. We pray this all now in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, thank you, kids. Thank you. What a blessing. Yeah. Well, I want to thank, uh, thank you guys. That we were able to take a vacation. In particular, I want to thank Pastor John Barrera. He's not here today. He's taking care of Gabe and Bob and James. Uh, it's great. You know, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling and it's comforting to know that um, the Word of God will still be taught, even when I'm not here. You know, it's not about me, it's about us as a family and those that God is raising up. And from what I understand, the, the preaching was very good, very solid, and so is the worship. I got to hear John's message, and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing Bob's message as well. So, in fact, let's give these guys a hand. I know they don't do it for that, but really, it's, a, it's an honor to be able to not have to worry about uh, you know leaving and oh my goodness what's going to happen. Uh, as you know, some of you may know, we we went up to Maine. We had a wonderful time up there. There's a. You know, there's, it's good to get out and about and see what God's doing around our country. And there's great ministry happening all over the place. And, you know, Central Maine is one of the uh, uh, very uh, interesting places in our country. It's beautiful. If you've been up there, it's beautiful countryside. Uh, there's a strong church, uh, Calvary Chapel presence up there. But there's also a lot of really strange things going on with the church. Anybody that's from New England knows that they have a lot of uh, Unitarian Universalist type churches. Uh, They have churches all over with these beautiful buildings that have unfortunately abandoned their call to preach the gospel. And so when you see a Calvary Chapel Bangor with Pastor Ken Graves, uh, it's encouraging to see what God's doing and how the young people are coming into the churches up there because they're seeking truth. They're seeking to know, know what's real. They're tired of what the world has to offer. And, uh, you know, the, hopefully that's why we all come to church is so that we can hear from the word, hear the Lord speak into our lives uh, to kind of rinse out the, the, the stuff that goes on. And, of course, you guys know that uh, it's a great place for seafood. And I know we have a lot of seafood fans here. I know not everybody likes seafood. Some people are allergic to it. But uh, up there they have, of course, uh, lobster and haddock. And they have this, yeah, they have this sauce. You may have heard of it. It's a, it's a wonderful sauce that goes great on all types of seafood. It's called tata sauce. It is amazing. Uh, I mean, you know, some lemon, some tata sauce. I mean, and they bring it out right to the table. I mean a big, you know, here you got to go, may I have some tartar sauce? And you get a little thing of it, you know, you got to <laughs> peel it off. Because, uh, you know, that's cocktail sauce country around here, Okay. But the seafood uh, was great, of course, and uh, the, the lobster was expensive, as always. But uh, in any event, we had a wonderful time, and it's good to be back home. Well, we're going to be jumping back into Galatians. This, we're going to start chapter 5. Uh, the last time we were in Galatians, you saw that there was this you know, battle going on, and, and Paul went to great lengths to explain to the Galatian church that you really have a choice. You can choose the law, or you can choose grace. You can choose the flesh or you can choose the spirit to live your Christian life. So now, this week, we see another aspect of Paul's teaching because he's going to begin to spell out for us the consequences of the Galatians' shift towards this works righteousness. Up to this point, he's given us a very thorough explanation of the purpose of the law. And if you haven't understood that, you can go back into the previous chapters or listen to it online. But now he's going to start to explain the meaning of Christian freedom or liberty. And today today we'll start to see the practical application. We love application, okay? Uh, We're going to see the practical application of our liberty in Christ, Choosing to live by God's grace by yielding to the Holy Spirit. You know, we we play a part in this relationship. Seeking to serve others and to glorify God as opposed to trying to live by man-made rules and placing ourselves back actually under bondage when we don't measure up. Seeking, of course, the praise of men, which is is a terrible snare. Not even considering or desiring to glorify God. We, when we when we're able to represent God wherever it is, we should be seeking to glorify God through that. So here we are in chapter five, verses one through twelve. Let's read through it. Paul starts out with a with an exhortation. He says, "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Verse 7, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, as he's been accused of, why do I still suffer persecution? That the offense of the cross has ceased. I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Heavenly Father, we come before you today with uh, a need to understand the importance of our freedom in You. You know We talk about it, but Lord will You please go deeper into our hearts and minds through Your Word as You continue to transform us and change our outlook, Lord. Will You give us a fresh outlook and a fresh understanding from Your Word about this thing we call Christian liberty. Help us to put off the old man and all the things that are tired and worn in our lives and put on the new man who is Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Go before us now. Help us to understand and study your word together. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, Paul starts out with a call to attention. You know, those of us who've been in the military, you know, it's like, hey, all hands on deck. Attention. I've got something to say. And he says, first off, stand fast to stand firm. And what are, we, what are we talking about? We're talking about standing up for your freedom. You know, we get beat down a lot by, by the world and it's the devil and his lies or our own struggles, our own personal struggles or people in our lives. And, and they can rob us of our joy and our understanding, the fact that we are freedom, we have liberty. And so he says, stand fast and stand firm. You know, don't give it up. Don't, don't let it go so easily. Keep in mind he says the liberty, this is the freedom, in the general sense, now liberty, is, it means to do or to not do things that have no relation to salvation, okay? They're not against, they're not obvious sins, it's just this freedom that we have, that's one general understanding. And sometimes, I mean, I could go on and on with all these descriptions of it, but you just need to tell the Lord and remind yourself in the Lord that you are free, and, there's, and that brings, you know, a, a, a sense of relief, if you will, when we feel weighed down with the garbage that we pile upon ourselves and others would try to do as well. He says, stand fast. Well, not just because we want to say that as a slogan. We stand fast, fast because it's Christ who made us free. It's Christ. Now, the NIV has a better translation, I believe. It says, it is for the freedom... That Christ has set us free. In Paul's day, in the Roman era, well, we've talked about this many times. Slavery was, it wasn't like here in America, okay, where slavery has been abolished, thank the Lord. But in those times, slavery was a part of life. And there were only two classes of people there were those who were free, free men, or those who were slaves. And so there would be certain situations where the master of a slave, if and when they chose to release the slave from, from being you know, under bondage, they would actually go through a ceremony. They would go to the, you know, the local temple and they would pay a freedom tax. And they would pay money to have that slave declared free, made free. It's almost like, hey, you know, you've got a whole new um, life ahead of you now. Now, they weren't totally free, you know, nothing that this world has to offer and promises ever delivers fully, right? And so, you know, it, they, were, they had certain rights, though. As a slave, they had no rights. When you became a slave, and it started usually by being uh, captive as a soldier, and then generations would build upon that, you know, you're taken captive, and you live a life of a, of a slave, everything is wiped out. Your marital status, your relationships, your business, whatever you had has now been removed. You are a slave to serve a master. Some masters were good; some and many were very cruel, and that was the way of life was. But if a person was being an, becomes an ex-slave through the process, like I just told you about, which is one example, you know, this would be uh, something they have now have certain rights. And so, Paul, when he says it is for Christ that you have been made free, he relates our freedom as Christians in the same sense but much, much greater, okay? John 8:36. it says, he says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is a true and lasting freedom with all of our debts paid through the gospel. Because our Lord Jesus died on the cross to set us free from the bondage of sin and legalism. And so we're being reminded of that. Paul was writing this with the hope to the Galatians, and you'll see a little later that he does have hope in the Lord that it's going to work. All that he's saying is not going to return void. But he starts out, it's a command. He says, don't. He says, first of all, stand fast. And then he says, don't do what? Do not be entangled again. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. This is anti-freedom. This puts you back under a form of slavery this yoke of bondage. And in this case, he's talking about the burden of the law and specifically the act of circumcision. Instead, when we think about being under a yoke, you, you and I are under the leadership, we are slaves to Christ. And so Jesus put it perfectly in Matthew eleven twenty-nine 29 and 30. He said to us, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now that doesn't sound like a harsh master, does it? And you will find rest for your souls. So as we abide in the Lord and we take his yoke upon us, he says, verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, he carries the weight of our sin. He's taken the burden off of our shoulders and made us free in him. Amen? So what are we talking about when we're talking about freedom? Well, if you're taking notes, four things. Four things that are important. There are many others. But first of all, our freedom that he says stand fast in is, enables us to live by the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, he says, I will send a helper. He says, I will send the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. And friends, oftentimes we need to remind ourselves, Lord, will you please fill me with your Holy Spirit? Lord, I'm having a hard time right now. I can't even pray. I come before you, I'm so upset. Lord, I need your filling. Or Lord, I have a very important decision to make. And I come to you in prayer and I ask that you would fill me and guide me by your word and by your Holy Spirit. And so he desires that we live that way. He doesn't desire that we only come when the troubles are hard. He's there for us always. Even when times are good, he desires that we live that way, that we make our decisions about life in that manner. So we're to live by the power of the Spirit. That's the freedom we have. Or, he says, you can also enter into his presence through prayer. Similar to what I'm saying both personal and corporately. You know, we, we, get to, we come here on 9.30s on Sundays, and we have Tuesday nights men's, and we have Thursday mornings women's prayer. This is God inviting us. You know, we're just doing what the Lord has called us to do, to enter into his presence through prayer. And it blows the angels away, let alone the world. The angels look upon us and they say, how is it that you people, you Christians, you redeemed of Jesus can be praying to an unseen God? Well, it's because we seek in comfort. We find comfort. We find rest. He says, because you put your yoke upon me, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's why we keep coming back. Another sense of our freedom is to have joy in serving him with obedience and a love for others. You know, as a small church, with our, we have several very faithful volunteers. And every so often, I will notice that, that people are starting to get a, a bit weary. Of you know, it seems like, you know, every church has this where it seems like the same people are doing the same things over and over again. But what amazes me more, it's no wonder we get tired. I mean, Margaret and I just came back from a vacation. And we all need our vacations and our time away. But what amazes me the most is when I see people coming consistently. And they do it, why? Because they're obedient to God, and God has given you the ability to love others in doing so. To love and serve others. That sh- that's the freedom we have. We mistake freedom for, I can do whatever I want. Well, you know, I tried that when my parents let me move out of the house. Or I should say maybe kicked me out of the house. And, and you know, I, I grew my hair super long, okay? I don't want to get a haircut anymore. I don't want to do laundry. (laughs) I don't want to eat what you serve. I mean, you know, you can can do whatever you want, John. Just don't call us when you end up in jailhouse, is what they told me. And so, uh, you know, the, the world, what it has to offer is nothing but a snare. Nothing but a snare. So we have the joy of serving him with obedience and a love to serve others. And we also, again, it's about a personal relationship. It's about a close personal relationship that we have with him, So that's the freedom we have. That's just some examples of the freedom that we have in Christ. And so we need to put aside all this other junk that the world promises and say, you know what, that's worth everything. That was worth Jesus' life, a sinless life, and a sinless death on a cross so that we could have freedom. Amen? Now here we are moving forward into verses 2 through 6. Paul spells out the consequences. He's going to spell out three consequences of what happens. And we'll go through them. First, uh, The first consequence is they're no longer looking for grace as a way to salvation, if you're keeping notes. The second consequence is that they're placing themselves under obligation to come under the law. And the third consequence is that they are now taking themselves out of the sphere or influence of Jesus. So we're going to go through those three things here in these, uh, this section of today. He says in verse 2, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised... Now, I, I don't need to go to great detail or at length what circumcision is. We're all adults here. We know what that is. But regarding Jewish tradition... Males were circumcised on the eighth day after birth. This is actually a command in the book of Leviticus. And if you, at the time, if you wanted to become a Jew, you were called a proselyte if you were a Gentile. And you, no matter what age you were, would have to go through the rite of circumcision. And to the Jew, it's a sign of the covenant that we've been talking about with Abraham, which signifies obedience and agreement. It's like, you know, this wedding ring that I'm wearing is a sign that I'm married. The baptisms that we do back there is a sign that I'm saved. These are signs. He says, but if you become circumcised, he's going to look at it from a different angle because what they're being forced to do is become circumcised to make their salvation complete. He says, if you do that, Christ will profit you nothing. So that's the first consequence. They're no longer looking for grace as a way to salvation. And how sad that is. How sad that it is that you think that you can do something which only God could do through His Son, Jesus Christ. How sad it is that you think it's upon you to do the work, to make it something that now God is a debtor to you. You are not going to put God in debt. None of us are going to do that. And he says, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, it's not the act of circumcision itself. We know that it was a sign of the covenant It's the value that they placed on it. It's the value that they placed on it. And he says, Christ will profit you nothing. Why? Because they were choosing to add to Jesus' work on the cross. So that's the first consequence. You know, when you and I become followers of Jesus, you're surrendering all your self-help. You're surrendering all the pride you have in your good works. In fact, you and I are like, Beggars with nothing to offer. Okay? That's how we come before the Lord. One writer, excuse me, put it this way. He says, uh, think about it this way. Think about a a, uh, self-propelled lawnmower. Um, If you had a self-propelled lawnmower, I've never had one, but I guess they're great on hills. Uh, But if you had a self-propelled lawnmower, but you decided you weren't going to turn on that feature, You were going to go ahead and continue to push it. It would be like relying on all your self-effort. Well, when we rely on self-effort or the law for our salvation, even though Jesus is present with us, his power is now turned off. And it's no benefit to us. Verse 3, he says... And I testify again. Now Paul, he's declaring as a witness of their wayward direction, and whether he is just reiterating something previous, it's unclear. Uh, But he says, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. This is the second consequence. Now you place yourself under the obligation. If you're going to play that game, well, it's no game at all. And by Jesus' time, there were 613 ordinances that the Pharisees and Sadducees thought they could keep. And none of them could. You know, we know that. But you actually place yourself under the obligation to do it all. To do it all. Paul's giving a clear warning that if they decide to voluntarily submit to circumcision as a part of salvation, it also means that they accept all of the Jewish ordinances. James 2.10 For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. The whole stack of cards comes falling down again. So you keep building that stack of cards and one little slip up and it all comes down. Why would they do that though? I mean you think well that's absurd. If you put it to me that way yeah I don't want to play my life like that. I don't want to play my eternal destiny like that. But why do they do it? Well, because it appeals to our flesh. That's why. We like to be self-righteous. We like to say, look at what I've done. And the problem is that you carry that over now to your relationship with God and you say, and God, I deserve it. Even if it's a subtle sense where somebody says, look, I believe God will, you know, he'll judge me on a sort of a A a bell-shaped curve. You know, some days are bad, some days are good. But at the end of my life, he's going to add it all up and he's going to see more good than bad. That's not how God works. Because he doesn't owe us anything. And we do not make him a debtor. We do not place ourselves to keep the law. Now, the Jewish boys who were circumcised on the eighth day after birth, they would have no choice in the matter. But these were adult males that these false teachers were trying to latch onto at the church and shift their thinking and say, look, if you just, get, if you just go through this ritual, you know, you'll be, you'll be uh, able to keep, you'll be a true son of Abraham. You'll be able to keep these laws and you'll be able to you know, be right with God and you'll have a good standing with God. Paul says in verse 4, as a result of that when you decide to put yourself back under the law you have become estranged from Christ. This means to be severed from. This means to be separate. And this is a controversial part of this third consequence because the debate continues about salvation and security. But he says, You who attempt to be justified by the law, you know, he's clear about their motives, have fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. You know, you've heard that said many times, perhaps. It's not said very often in the Bible. I think this is the only place. You've fallen from grace, and we're like, so we need to kind of back up again, and we need to, I think, settle something first off. I don't believe, and many agree with me, isn't that nice, right? I don't believe that they lost their salvation. It's not something that fell out of their pocket. Okay? It's a bad way to say it. All through the letter, Paul is referring to them as the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ. They had fallen, but not from their salvation. They had fallen from grace. They had fallen from grace. They were outside the sphere of God's grace. the spear of the law. They'd, they'd gone from God's grace to God's law. And you can't mix the two. Romans eleven six. 6, Paul writes, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works, your salvation. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You can't mix the two. They're like oil and water. We live under God's grace. So the debate may continue. But you and I know through our walk with the Lord, and if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you'll know that there have been seasons of dryness, seasons of drought that sometimes are ordained by God. But a lot of times it's our own choices. We took ourselves out of fellowship. We got mad at somebody in the body of Christ. And we decided we would have nothing to do with the church anymore. Yet we will still call ourselves Christians. Well, you can. I mean, you can. But you're taking yourself outside of the sphere of God's influence. You're taking yourself out of that protective covering. And you're making yourself miserable. Because now you're going to justify yourself by all your good works. You're going to leave church and you're going to join civic clubs, which is nothing wrong with civic clubs. You're going to go find something to do that says, you know what, I'm righteous. And I'm I'm just tired. Now I understand that there are many churches today that are not teaching the Word of God. They're bringing forth the entertainment and the seeker-sensitive. I understand that in some places it's very hard to find a Bible-teaching church. And you know, thankfully there are ministries who minister to people like that. But when you get mad at the church, the Bride of Christ... You're being lustful. You're looking at the body and not the head who is Christ. And there, you know, people we rub each other the wrong way, but there's a reason for that. Like heavenly stones. Okay? We're put together, we're fit together in this house. Why? So that we can become more like Christ. You know, somebody that different personalities. We rub together. Now having explained the consequences of their self-effort now Paul explains God's way. In verse 5 he says for we through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, who works in us and through us, and I would add supernaturally, he says but we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Eagerly wait. You know that's That's a a strange thing to eagerly wait, isn't it? I mean, hurry up and get in line. Hurry up and wait. Some of you military folks know about that. But you don't do that eagerly. (laughs) But when it comes to our walk in the Lord, and our relationship with God, we should want to eagerly, if you're a believer, now this starts to test your salvation. I'm not the judge of your salvation, but these words will test it. Are you eager, even when it's hard, to wait on God's promises? Even if it's decades long. Are you eager to wait for the hope of righteousness? With a sincere expectation. This is the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to be talking about next week. This hope of righteousness. Now, this word, the Greek word hope, is elpis. The Greek word hope is not a weak or an uncertain kind of hope like, oh, I think it's going to work out. Oh, I hope it does. No. For you and I, this hope is confidence. Not in us, but in God. It's favorable and confident. As Christians, our hope and our assurance is that Jesus is coming. He's going to complete our conformity To God's will. It's going to finally culminate in our resurrection. No other philosophy offers that, okay? The closest thing might be Buddhism that says if you finally reach a certain point in your life and your self-discipline, that you will kind of end up in this sea of nothing. You know, like all of humanity melts into this impersonal sea of humanity before some great creator. It's not a personal thing. But meanwhile, you're, you're going through a series of reincarnations. I hope I don't come back as a lobster. <laughs> I watched a guy put a lobster to sleep. anybody seen that? You can turn it upside down and rub its back, and it kind of goes to sleep. And then, yeah, you put it in the pot, and it just lays on its back, cover on. Anyway, I digress terribly. Terribly Cerebly, sorry. Let's get back on track here, will you folks? Verse 6. Well, let me just say, if you eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith in God through Christ, let me just ask you point blank. Do you have that? Do you have the hope of righteousness? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Is what I'm saying making sense? Or is it just a bunch of noise? It's just a bunch of words. You know, for them that are perishing, this is just nonsense. But for us who are in Christ Jesus, this is these are the words of life. He says in verse 6, now he's going to talk about this act of circumcision. He says, "For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything." You know, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. You're making too big of a thing on this act. It's not complicated. Coming to trust Jesus as your Savior has nothing to do with your physical condition. Then what does? If that doesn't matter, what does? By faith, working through love. Remember the law was from from heaven. The law came from God. You know, the Ten Commandments came from God. So the law in itself cannot be bad. And the first four commandments uh, speaks of our, it teaches us to love. If you look at the Ten Commandments and you say, well, Lord, what, what can I learn from this? Aside from do's and don'ts, what can I learn from these Ten Commandments? Well, they teach us how to love. If we love God, we'll obey the first four. And if we love people, we'll obey the last six. And thankfully, Jesus summarized it for us. Matthew, or Mark 12, 30 and 31. He said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other commandment greater than these. Summarize all of it. So we learn how to love. The goal of the Christian life, writes a guy named John Barry, the goal of the Christian life is to express faith in Christ through love. That's the goal. It's not to just come to church. It's to express Christian faith through love. Not to live under the requirements of the law. Believers are called to demonstrate their faith through sacrificial love for others because their faith is placed in the one Who first demonstrated such love? That's it. That's the basic, you know, it's not complicated. So, how do you want to live your Christian life? Rhetorical question Would you rather come back under bondage, uh, self effort, or by the power of the Holy Spirit? That's the choice he's offering us. Now, when we eagerly await through the Spirit, it's not just like there's some kind of a bliss as though we're floating around waiting on God to act. No, we're called to an active love. An active love. It's been said that we Christians love others not because we have found others worthy or attractive to be loved. Just look in the mirror. Say, I don't know how anybody can love that person. But because we have become loving persons. It's when you and I become what we believe. You know, this is called sanctification. Slowly, as the Lord is working in our hearts, we start to now become more and more what it is that we believe. We're being transformed. And then how can we be sure that we have this supernatural ability? Well, notice he says, we are in Christ Jesus. Leon Morris, he says, the Christian is not simply someone who has heard about Christ and is loosely attached to him. The Christian is wholly committed to Christ, so holy that he or she does not merely stand by for him or by him. We don't just kind of stand by the Lord or for the Lord. But we're really in him. We're surrounded by him. That song we sing above and below, you know, all around. We are in Christ. Romans 5, 5, talking about hope, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out like literally poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's who you are. Again, our identity in Christ is so sometimes easy to forget. Is there a scriptural test about this love that the Lord has given us? Yes, there is. John 13, 35. He says, By this all will know. That you are my disciples. This is Jesus. If you have love for one another, and I see it all the time in this church. You know, our little, our little fellowship, our humble fellowship, I see love happening all the time. And it brings joy to my heart and it brings joy to your heart to see what God is doing. More on this next week. You know, again, we're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Now let's finish up. Verses 7 through 12, he, he comes back to them. He says, Now I'm going to, he's going to talk about where Paul has his confidence. Paul's confidence is not in their ability, okay? It's in the gospel and the message of the gospel, the, the life change. He says, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You ran well. Now he's comparing the life in Christ to, to a foot race, and he does it often, not, not a rat race, okay? You've come out of the rat race, hopefully, and now you're on a foot race. God, God has actually ordained a track for your life. It's not just an oval, okay? It's going to have many ups and downs, but you are running the race of faith. You're running a track. And he says, looking back, he says, you know, they were off to a good start. And we know, us, especially us guys, right? We know that we often start well and finish terribly. And any, you know, projects, stuff like that. And he says, you know, they were running uh, on the faith on God's promises. You know that song, Lately I've Been Running on Faith? Like, why weren't you running on faith more in your life? You know, it's only when things really turn bad. uh, You're running now, running on faith. That's our fuel. God's promises and our faith is what we run on. That's what we run this race on. Those are our vitamins and our nutrients that enable us to do those things. And he says, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now you run in this race, and this hindrance speaks of being cut off. You know, and sometimes when we run the race, the devil sends people into our life, and they jump right in front of us in our lane, our walk of faith, and they start to whisper things that aren't true. And in this case, it was, hey, did you know you're not really a believer until you come under circumcision? Well, that's not the gospel. And whatever it is, maybe it's somebody comes knocking on your door, and they've got a Bible in their own book, and they come in twos. You know what I'm talking about. And they say, and you say, oh, I'm a believer. And they say, well, you know, hold on a second. Let us explain something to you. See, they just entered your lane. They're running that race. You're trying to run that race in faith. And they came in there, and they tried to teach, bring you false teaching. Who cut in on you, he says. So it's sort of a rhetorical question because he knows who it was. And and then he he makes a good point in verse 8. He says, This persuasion or this treacherous influence is not or did not come from him who calls you. It didn't come from the Lord. It didn't come from his word. And it didn't come from Paul's preaching. He said earlier in Galatians, first chapter, verse 8, he says, but if we, even if we, Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to, to you, let him be accursed. We need to always be circumspect with our intake of spiritual teaching because that influence we need to make sure that it's coming from the Word. If you're taking notes, just a side note, some of you may remember when we had uh, 88.3, we had Calvary Chapel Radio here in our area for about five years. It was an amazing ministry, and it ended up being sold. But um, I, I, can, I guess maybe I'm late, late to the game. But uh, write down this. If you, if you have an app and you want to get some really good Calvary Chapel teaching from a lot of our favorite teachers, uh, Chuck Smith and everyone, go to God's Way Radio. God's Way Radio and download the app to your phone. Uh, it's it's uh, based out of Calvary Chapel, Miami. What a wonderful ministry. I mean, I learned about it on our trip and a lot of people are listening. But if you want to you know, dial in, and look, I know we've got uh, Christian radio in our area, but a lot of times it's just just music. I mean, that's great too. There's a time for that. But they have great teaching. They have a variety of teachers in the Calvary Chapel movement, plus they even have Alistair Bag in there. And it's just, you know, we have, look, these things, I, we use these, okay? We use these a lot. So let's, let's put it to good use. I, I just would encourage you, God's Way Radio, you'll see the app, and it's Calvary Chapel, Miami. Great programming, great music. You know, you may hear a song on there you want us to try and play here. <laughs> We'd be glad to take requests. Don't know what we'll do with them, but I'll take them. Okay. Hey, listen to it for a month and let me know what you think. Give me some feedback. God's Way Radio, it's a good thing. Anyway, little side note, we need to be circumspect about what we take in, our spiritual teaching and our influences. Why? Well, look at verse 9. This is a very proverbial statement. You've all heard it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Little, micros, this is small, it's the opposite of this megas, the Greek word for great and large. It's a metaphor of moral corruption and its tendency to affect others, or infect others, I should say. You know, even if a few of us here at this church, or any church, start to peddle a false gospel, you'd be surprised how fast it could spread if you guys weren't so grounded in the word. I've heard some of you say, yeah, I was talking to somebody, they're a Christian, they go to this, that church, and their ideas about God just don't seem to line up. And we all we were reminded that that's because we're in the word. And so if we're always in the word, it's easier for us to be able to detect the false, the counterfeit. And but it's it's a it's a metaphor that's used. But but then he goes on. He says, even a little leaven leavens the whole lump, but he says in verse 10. I have confidence in you, or I am persuaded, this confidence, I am persuaded in the Lord. In you, in the Lord. Not just in you, but you in the Lord. So Paul trusts that this letter will change and get them back on course. It will change them and get them back on course. He's trying to be encouraging here. And he says, I am confident that you in the Lord, that you will have no other mind Uh, NIV says, in the Lord that you will take no other view. We read from Jude this morning. Jude chapter 1, Jude 124, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now that's comforting. That should be comforting for us. Because if God takes joy in that, that means it's, it's real, man. He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of God, of all. So Paul trusts that ultimately the true Christians will not succumb to the false teaching. Why? Because they are in the Lord. And that's why we're committed here at CCEC and other churches, like-minded churches, to preach the word of God. And as I was saying earlier, even it doesn't matter if I go out of town, because the word of God will still be preached here. Amen? Amen. But he says, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment. Now let's look, this is, the, the, this is how God's justice works. God will judge the false teachers and we need to re- be reminded all of us as teachers of the word of God of James 3.1 where he says, my brethren, let not many of you, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's sobering. He says, he who troubles you, whoever he is, and he doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter who these people are, these false teachers that jumped in their faith lane and tried to cut these people off and derail their faith, shipwreck their faith. It doesn't matter about their social standing or their relative influence. A false teacher, God will hold accountable doesn't matter how good looking they are or how big their TV show is or how big their church is. It does not matter. He says, now, interesting, he's going to deal with the situation here in verse 11. We're almost done. Pay attention to this, these last two verses. Paul's going to deal with the question that you may have in your mind. You know, he's saying that circumcision before Christ or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. But we know, Paul, you were circumcised. And we also know a little bit more about you, Paul, because we've been on the internet checking you out. And we know that you have a disciple named Timothy, and you, you kind of made him get circumcised. So what's the deal? You know, Are you talking out of both sides of your mouth? And that's where Paul, here he answers that so, you know, kind of hypothetical question. But notice he says in verse 11, And I, brethren, he still refers to them as fellow believers, which means they have not been losing their salvation he just wants to get him back on course. He says, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? And they were accusing him of not preaching Jesus, but preaching circumcision because of that fact that Timothy was circumcised. Now, the reason Timothy was circumcised, just so we know as a side note, was so that Timothy could have a ministry to the Jews because he knew how important it was to the Jews who were being converted to Christianity. So in the context of the ministry that Timothy was going to deliver, he was going to do that what was necessary to relate to them. This is called cultural awareness, and it does not dilute the gospel. It just says, you know, the Jews are strict, and it's like, man, you're going to you know, at least show them something that you, you're willing to come alongside them, and that's what Paul did with Timothy. But he's like, look, if I'm preaching circumcision, then why are you guys still yelling at me? Why are the false teachers still coming after me? Cuz it's not true, he's not. I mean, I didn't I, you know, soften my message so that you would I'd be acceptable in society and you wouldn't come shut down my ministry. Paul was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten to death. He never compromised near death. Finally, he was executed. Why do I still suffer persecution? Why are they persecuting him? He says, it's not really the offense of the cross has ceased. You see, the the message that we have, and you'll find this out uh, if you do street ministry, if you go out to give out Bible tracts, or you try to get into public schools, bring the gospel message, the whole gospel, the truth of the word, the fact that if you die in your sins, you will go to hell, that, that truth, that's the gospel message, and that's offensive to people. And it, when it starts to lose its offense, and I'm not talking about going out of your way to be a real jerk and not to be winsome and loving. You know, we all need to work on that. We need to be gentle with the lost people. We were once that way, but we need to speak the truth in love. And he says the offense of the cross. It's the offense, the scandal on. This was a stumbling block. Because Paul wasn't preaching circumcision. He was preaching Christ and him crucified. Amen? All throughout history, not just in our modern time, the offense of the cross has been tried to be taken away for the sake of numbers, for the sake of participation. Through the arts, through music, fancy architecture, entertainment, a country club atmosphere, seeker sensitivity, or a watered-down gospel message. That's happened throughout church history. The offense of the cross wants to be removed. And he finishes with an interesting verse, verse 12, our last verse today. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. I could wish. In other words, if Paul had his way, you know, he's sort of speaking off the cuff in a way. He's speaking as a protector over these Galatians who are being led astray. And you and I often may have the same sentiments about somebody who's doing harm to us, our family, our church family, our personal lives. I could wish, you know, or we, we want to see justice done. He says that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now, there's two interpretations here, I'm just going to say. One is uh, to not just go through circumcision, but to castrate themselves, to amputate. I mean, just go all the way. I could wish they would do that. Uh, They're so big on circumcision, why don't they do that? Or simply that they would be cut off from that fellowship, that they would be removed from that fellowship and no longer able to influence the people that they were taken down out of the sphere of God's grace. So what have, we, what have we been saying here today? First of all, stand fast in the freedom you have in Christ. Remember, just, it's an action on your part. Stand fast. Don't drift off into false doctrine. Stay in the sphere or the influence of Jesus. Be wise because just a little bit of leaven can spoil or leaven the whole lump. Be careful what we take in, and never stop trusting in his grace for all of your needs. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you're speaking through your word to us, and Lord, I pray that it just has an effect of, of renewal and change in our hearts. Whatever we may have brought with us, Lord, I pray that it it has been removed, and as we go through the week, I pray that each and every family that's represented, each person that's here will be closer to you, walking in your grace and in your love, trusting on you, avoiding this self-effort, being wise with what comes at them, so that we can continue to grow in your grace. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do. And We pray this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, Instead of our final prayer, we're kind of, we're going to, well, let's do our final prayer, and then just a reminder about the security meeting down uh, at the children's ministry. Let's let's stand and say our final prayer together. <clears throat> uh, let's try something different, okay? Uh, this side, turn to your right. Everybody on this side, to face everybody over here. And you guys know what you got to do. No, don't turn your backs on them. Turn, look at them. Just kidding. Okay. Now, this is what we're going to pray to one another. Okay. The Lord, look at somebody, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.